This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. One of these days, I will master the ability to complete a sentence. Scott Owen. Right, what would I know? I'm just the weekend host around here. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. And for the first time in the new season, the Brisbane Football Review has a win for the Brisbane Roar to talk about. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very cheery edition of the show with James Scott and Adam as we are preparing to recap the one senior Raw fixture that went ahead on the weekend. And Adam, what a glorious fixture it was. Yeah, uh, it was it was looking uh, pretty grim there for a while, but uh, eventually the comeback of uh, of the ages and uh, three points in the bank, and that's one win up for the Raw for the uh, club championship. And Scott, it was never in doubt, was it? It wasn't. New year, new Brisbane. All that other stuff's in the past. Forget about it. This is a new year. <laughs> it was. It, it was, was a very of... good performance. Though. We'll talk about it shortly. But it was a very good performance and a really good comeback. We will. It was, yes, a 4-2 win for the Raw women down at Amy Park. We're going to cover that. We've got the Gold Coast Knights acquitting themselves admirably in the FFA Cup against uh, the Melbourne Victory B-side down at the Croatian Sports Centre. And, well, since there were only two games for us to talk about, we're going to do a little bit of a January transfer window game as we get into it. This is the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. And we are... James Scott and Adam. Now, before we get into it, we'll do our usual plugs. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Twitter, be at BNE Football. Facebook, The Raw Review. If you can uh, find any of our podcasts, it's on A-League Live, Wooshka, iTunes, Spotify. It is a very long and hot day, so I'm a little bit uh, flat, as I'm sure you have probably already noticed, 90-odd seconds into me talking. And if you're following us on any of those podcast platforms, feel free to leave a rating and a review because I'm sure there's a good reason, but that's just what all podcast people say and we're trying to be like all real podcast people. Adam! Okay, so maybe not as, maybe not as easy as we originally uh, perhaps made it out. The Raw were down 2-0 to the victory early on and uh, we were a little bit worried at a certain point in time, weren't we? We were um, not not the greatest of starts, not the greatest uh, start to uh, young Mia Bailey's goalkeeping career. Seeing a very very um, let's 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 just say timed pass from Jesse Rash that go right past and into the back of the net, which actually equated to the victory's first attacking move. But um, look, after that, uh, you can see that you can see that they were trying. Um, second goal was probably a little bit of victim of circumstance, down two nil. Um, but it was a stirring comeback in the in the second half, and uh, look, eventually they they played well enough to, you know, really trouble the victory, who were sort of trying to right wrongs on their own side after being absolutely belted by their city by uh, Melbourne City the previous week in the derby. So it was I think it came down to at least up until the seventieth seventieth minute or so a game where which team won it more. And Scott, we'll go right back to the start of the match and. Say, you know, if you're just looking at the scoreboard without any context, you would say that the changes of, you know, Mia Bailey and Lainey McDougall coming in for the debuts, the return of Annie Haffenden to the starting lineup, overall, you would say those changes worked. And to her credit, Bailey made some fairly strong saves throughout the match, but were any of those changes expected, or were you a little bit taken aback by uh, the moves that Gareth McPherson made? 
it was a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? We, we kind of knew that Nat Tatham was going to be in the match day squad, given there was a couple of posts on social media about that in the lead-up to the game. But I do wonder, some of it was probably changes that Gareth wanted to make, given things he'd seen. And also, some of it's probably just the way of the world at the moment, with certain players not being available to be selected, given the protocols and everything. So maybe some of it was possibly forced upon them to make changes. But I do think at least, at least one we know was definitely... A choice, and that was the goalkeeper with Mia Bailey coming in because Georgina Worth was on the bench. And I think Adam's right; it was a very difficult start for Mia. It could have really gone, could have gone wrong, given her first touch of the ball basically was to pick the ball out of the net from an own goal, which was incredibly unfortunate. But I thought from then on in the game, I thought Mia did really, really well. A couple of really good saves off Catherine Zimmerman, and it was a really solid performance from her, and something you can really build upon. So I think some of the changes, maybe Folletta out, who wasn't in the match day squad. Meg McGillicott not there either. Maybe those sort of changes were perhaps forced upon them given the circumstances of the time, but there was probably a combination of the two. And which uh, one of you two was uh, tweeting from the uh, account? That was me. He always is. What's the problem? Oh, no, I was going to say, I love the uh, recap you posted under the own goal description as well. Because, you know, for those of you that don't follow (laughs) us, yeah, for those of you that don't follow us on uh, Twitter on Match Day, we do the updates will post the information and then a follow-up with a uh, bit more of a detailed recap and it just recap oh dear and then you know a ratchet back pass leaves bailey stranded as victory have the first goal of the game but i couldn't put the two words that came to my mind initially when that happened to be honest yeah but it was it's like one of those when that happened it was like oh, of course it's another own goal given everything that seems to go wrong for the all that can go wrong does go wrong but I thought as a team they bounced back from that pretty well, didn't they? They did. And look, it was one of those, you know, moments of, for lack of a better phrase, madness, but it didn't turn into a succession of errors. It was just a case of where they were able to bounce back from it and, you know, get themselves back. In. And there was a bit of controversy over the second goal as well, Scott. Yeah, I'm still not sure that crossed the line. I've seen the photo victory put out of it, but... It, I'm not convinced it did cross the line. It doesn't didn't matter in the end, but I think you could tell from the, the players' reactions as well. The victory players weren't really sure about celebrating straight away, and the raw players were pretty adamant that it didn't cross the line. So I mean, maybe maybe it did, and the linesman, oh, the assistant referee's got better eye vision than me. It probably does, but <laughs> I'm not convinced it did. But anyway. Well, look, all I will say is, uh, you know, Mariel Hecker was protesting vociferously, but she does that for pretty much anything. Yeah, well, I was actually going to point out that probably it was Mariel Hecker was the one that actually gave it away because you see on replays on that, uh, if she had taken probably one more step forward and actually was defending on the line, um, then uh, perhaps it may not have crossed. But uh, look, at the end of the day, uh, Courtney Nevin put it away probably about three or four seconds later in that scramble. Look, you could probably attribute maybe um, you know, Mia Bailey's inexperience there that she didn't sort of come out to, to collect that, which which caused that scramble. But look, at the end of the day, you got you got players, you know, everywhere. Um, two nil down. It really accentuated the situation more than oh, it was a bad play because obviously that needless own goal, you know, came in the first couple of minutes. If that was the first goal of the game, you'd be saying, oh well, that's unlucky. No, it was all it was all sort of you know, to play for. But you know, two nil down after 25 minutes. Uh, yeah, it was uh, almost panic stations there for for the raw. And I don't think you could blame any, you know, Raw fan for thinking this is going to be another long night. But as we saw in the first meeting between these sides up at uh, Morton Daly Stadium, 
the Raw just went about their business and eventually in the second half, they finally got that breakthrough and it was just on the... just want to make sure I'm getting my timing right. Yeah, it was uh, Crummer in the 59th minute where they just finally found that breakthrough and it really did seem like there was a bit of a light bulb moment for them and it got a little bit better from there with the red card to Kyra Cooney Cross. Oh, yeah, I, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I forgot you were putting the. Hey, um, yeah, look, uh, it all came. Actually, all came from a shot from. Um, Charlie, I think it was, it it was, was maybe. Gory. It was Katrina Gori. Yeah. Long range shot, which was spilt by um, Lisa Mazels in the, in uh, goal for victory. And Larissa Kramer happened just to be there and just tapped in over the top of her. And that that seemed to sort of change the flow of the game. Um, because it was uh, like Mazels was pretty good and pretty solid. And then that seemed to be the first error that she made. And all of a sudden, that gave brief life for the. Um, you know, for the Raw, and that seemed to where the momentum shift in the game came. And then that followed up with the red card, Scott. It did, and that was kind of like the five-minute period of the play there where Raw did it did open up from there. They got the goal back, gave them a little bit of confidence, and they got the, the player advantage, which it seemed like it took them a while to really get going in terms of making the most of that. And I was almost just thinking, well, this is going to be the most frustrating part of it, is the fact they had... The, the player advanced for about 20, 25 minutes and didn't make the most of it. And then right at the end, they went bang, bang, bang and made it made it count. But when the when the second goal went in to get it back to two all, James, that was when you could really see the light bulb like flick on. It's like, right, we're right in this and we've got an absolute chance of winning. And the third goal they scored, the one that Shea scored, that put them a goal in front, that's a textbook move you would see them train. in Every team do in training a thousand times, basically. Get the ball out to the fullback or the winger cut the ball back to the center, to the attacker on the edge of the six-yard box for a tapping. That's the sort of move you see quite often in training. And when that went in, you can see, right, they've got some confidence here. They're doing the things that they practice all the time. And it's starting to come off. And it was the second goal for me, James. The goal, I think it was the second one, was Gorry, the long range. Yep. It was, well, yes. Yeah, that, when that went in, you could really see the confidence start to build in them. They finished off the game with an abundance of confidence. And hopefully they can carry that forward from here. Because we've said before, they just need something to go their way. And it seemed like in that last 10 minutes down in Melbourne, it finally went their way. It did. And I, I do want to, you know, drill down a little bit on uh, the Katrina Gorry goal because for most players, that would just be, you know, one of the most spectacular goals that they'll score in their career. But for Gorry, it's, well, pretty much stock standard, Adam. Yeah, it's uh, Katrina Gorry doing Katrina Gorry things. You know, the, her last goal that she scored was uh, before she uh, went, went out... Um, you know, and became a mother was a similar shot from range against Canberra at um, Morton Daly Stadium. So, look, we, we come to expect that from from Katrina Gorry, and um, yeah, but this was just it just the timing was perfect. Um, look, this this is a goal that you know I don't think any keeper in in the A League women could have stopped, and that, and that that shows how good. And we we sometimes question some of these long range goals, you know, whether the keeper was you know was to blame or not. I can tell you this one, not a chance for Melissa Mazels or any other opposing keeper in the league. It was, yeah, a very good, um, very good strike. And as you were saying, Scott, it just gave them that real boost. And then Nat Tatham coming in with the uh, crucial assist for Shea Connors to score another goal against the victory. He's quite good at that, you know. Uh, and then all of a sudden it was 3-2. And now we'll move on to uh, East Norrie uh, doing captain's things. And 
my favourite part of watching this, uh, and feel free to go check out the uh, replay mini-match or highlights on Paramount+, Plus. watch Nori. As soon as she struck the ball, she was turning around and celebrating. It was, it was like watching, you know, one of those three-point shooters in the NBA, except, you know, unlike a lot of those three-point shooters in the NBA, this one actually went in. But she was celebrating before the ball had even reached the six-yard box, basically. So that was a really impressive uh, and really impressive bit of confidence from Ishinori. It was. It seemed as though, from the moment that Katrina Gorey's goal went in to make two all night, I think in a way they would have been happy just to take a point. Uh, then, then you know, the advantage really told, and they and they pushed on to get all three points. But you could almost tell that the players were, I think, for the maybe for the first time this season, enjoying their football. I think that was clear. And obviously, you know, we always say it's more fun when you're winning. And yep. I think this was the case because, um, especially, you know, Nellie Tatham, who we've got to, you know, say, you know, welcome back after, you know, nearly a year off. And it was actually in the corresponding picture last season where, you know, she, she went down with a severe knee, serious knee injury. Um, to come back to, to score what was the, you know, the game-clinching um, assist, you know, for, for Shay Connors, that, that was an amazing moment as well. So I think, you know, for weeks and weeks of frustration that this, this uh, group have had, it's actually good to see them you know, enjoy things and enjoy, you know, enjoy their football. And I think that, I think the momentum hopefully will go, continue on you know, going into their next game. Well, Adam, it's funny you mentioned that. I was just looking back through our um, com- messenger conversation and I found this message that I sent 6.58pm on Saturday evening. One point I really wish I did make on last week's show is if the Raw women could hold on for a result at some point it might actually kickstart the team with some confidence. And I do think this is the game, or this is the result that they needed to really use as a launching point for the rest of the season. And look, you can say the victory, you know, under understaffed and, you know, decimated with injuries and all this other stuff, but that doesn't really matter to me because you look at what the Raw have done. For me, this is all about them. I, I know there will be some arguments about you know, the victory uh, possibly showing some signs of concern for them. But look at the way that their attack is growing. Two goals, three goals, four goals in the last three weeks. And by comparison, you know, they're just... They seem like they're going from uh, step to step. Yeah, none of that washes me either, James. I mean, I know some people think the Kyra Cooney crossed red card was harsh, and perhaps it was, but the whole players on the that doesn't wash with me because the Raw had Holly Palmer down there in Melbourne, I'm led to believe, and was not able to take part because of a of a positive test, I think, or at least something along those lines. Why she no, wasn't no result, no I result think. wasn't able wasn't able to be in the match day score because of something to do with the test. So unfortunately, that so that this stuff that doesn't wash with me. The, the, every every team at the moment in both A League men and women's are suffering players unavailable for a variety of reasons. So I don't want to hear about that from victory. So the, that excuse stuff doesn't even begin to wash with me. I understand the fact that they've got beaten comprehensively against City the week before, but that doesn't that doesn't wash with me. Nor should just, it. Uh, sorry, I just want to make a point about that Kyra Cooney cross red card. Look, I think I think it was the right call. However, I can understand people complaining about the consistency of the of the referee across the A League women because when you have a week prior to that, a player deliberately pull down a player by their hair and only get a yellow card. And then you match it up against what uh, Cooney Cross did. Yeah, you'd be saying that's inconsistent. But I think if you 
judge it on its merits, studs up, going in dangerous. You know, look, it, to me, it's a red card, but I think what magnifies that why people, you know, almost say rightly say it's harsh, is because the standard is not there. And I've, I've been, been quoted, you know, around the trap saying that you almost need to murder someone in, um, <laughs> in, in the A-League a women to get sent off for a straight red, unless you, unless you, um, you know, do a professional foul. And look, I, I actually, you know, credit the referee um, for making for making that decision. You know, whether that was you know for or against the, the raw, raw or whatever, I think that you know that should be the standard being upheld. I think it's everything else that goes around and the lack of consistency on those higher those higher you know sort of you know impact fouls. I think that's what you know exposes this. I would just like to point out questionable refereeing decisions hardly exclusive to Australian football. I'm just going to uh, not mention uh, which Premier League club I follow and them getting completely and utterly royally screwed against Manchester City on the weekend. I prefer not to speak. If I speak, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> but anyway... And after so, my slip of the tongue last week, I'm already in big trouble with James, so I'm not going to say another word about overseas. Oh, yeah, football. I forgot I forgot to edit that one out. Anyway, um, well, one final point I want to make... Uh, again, uh, the Raw posted this on their socials, but in terms of the squad taking confidence from this result and being able to uh, go forward with it, go listen to Shay Connor's uh, post-game where she's talking about, look, this is just one win. It's great, but now they're you know turning their focus to next week against the Western Sydney Wanderers, and we will do exactly the same in just a second. But first, Scott, we need yes. your 3 two, one votes for the Player of the Year. Okay, well, speaking of Shea Connor, she may feature in just a moment. Three votes for Katrina Gore. I thought she was absolutely outstanding, and that capped off with a goal, but outstanding. Great to see her back, and I think this Matilda's talk's a little bit premature, but if puts another performance like that on the weekend against the Wanderers, maybe she might force her way in. But three for Katrina Gore, two for Shea Connors, and one for Aisha Nori. Yep, fair call. All right, and just uh, like one other thing. We're talking for a long time sure. about how many times on this show have we talked about the Raw's terrible record in Melbourne at Amy Park in particular. Well, that is, that's a men's only thing, clearly, because the Raw women have played there seven times and won four. So maybe it's a home away from home for the women's team, at least. So what you're saying is uh, maybe that Amy Park doubleheader could have gone ahead if um, the Raw's uh, women's squad were up for 180 minutes. It could have gone quite well. I'm sure it couldn't have gone any worse than the last time the Raw men played the victory at Amy Park. <laughs> anyway... Uh, now, we're going to move on by going back to last week, which was Thursday evening, if I'm not mistaken, down at the Croatian Sports Centre. And the Gold Coast Knights, uh, we saw the first iteration of the Scott McDonald coached and cameo featuring side as they pushed Melbourne victory to extra time in the FFA Cup before eventually going down 2-1 in what was a gallant effort for the... Um, you know, Southeast Queensland club. And my big takeaway from this, Adam, and I'll let you uh, build on this, but I think any concerns about uh, Knights possibly falling apart after their mass exodus of players from the 2021 NPL Queensland season, a lot of those concerns have definitely been allayed, at least in the short term for me. Yeah, look, this was a ver- this was a very very you know, meritorious effort from uh, Gold Coast Knights, considering you know the timing, considering that they had that one false start as it was, you know, as far as the game playing, you know, to look at the end of the day, you can say all you want about Melbourne victories, um, like, let's call them their B side, pretty pretty much, you know, obviously their top team, uh, you know, 
last time I checked, were leading the um, the A League. But you know, this this side that that that, that squad that they put together you know, in this cup run, which is basically you know their next generation. Look, they're they're a decent team. They're a decent football team, and for. Gold Coast Knights so take them to 120 minutes, and and yeah, at times they you know, looked really threatening. I thought it was a very, very yeah, good effort from um, from Scott McDonald's side. Yeah, no arguments for that, Scott. Yeah, just on victory very quickly. I remember calling it the B side, but there's some players in there who played a lot of football. Internet. Robbie Cruz is a senior international. It's like Lee Broxham, Stefan Negro, even Nishan Valupo has played a fair bit of football this year in the A League men for Melbourne Victory. So it's a very good side. But for Gold Coast, oh, it's a good side by any standards for them, but with Gold Coast, I, it, it was a really, really good performance, wasn't it? For a side which hasn't played in three months, to to put out that solid of a performance, particularly in the first half when they were able to really match it physically with, with victory, I thought it was really impressive for a, a first-up performance for Scott McDonald's side, and we knew they added a couple of players with um, the announced players with um, Tyson Martin and Jai Ingham and Mersmeratovic, but some of the players that they didn't announce or kept Quiet guys like Janelle De Silva at the back and Christian Brymore. I thought those two were absolutely outstanding, and you can see that Gold Coast. I will do our NPL preview in a few weeks, but you can really see that Gold Coast side as it get regains its fitness and and that just builds up its continuity. You can see it being a really really solid side. So for a first up performance, it's a really strong Melbourne victory. I thought they were outstanding, particularly for about 17 minutes, and they did lose their legs, but for 70 minutes they were outstanding. And I will say overall, probably the biggest uh, addition would be Tyson Martin, who, you know, unfortunately got a little bit caught out in the final few minutes of the game as it was like cramp got the better of him and he was, God, that was reduced That's to the beast. worst type of cramp I've ever seen, almost. I've, <laughs> in I've, a non-subcontinental setting anyway. I, I've, uh, I've seen It's as bad as Jay North in the grand final a few years ago, if you remember, where he was just standing in the centre circle as well. He was operating as a de facto striker, but he was moving. Uh, his movement was limited. I think it's fair to say on that. But yeah, it was a good effort from uh, Gold Coast Knights. But unfortunately, now the rule will be the last. Well, unfortunately, fortunately, there's only one uh, Queensland club left in the FFA Cup, and that will be the Brisbane Roars uh, men's side, which will be taking on Sydney FC in their quarterfinal. Just announced Wednesday, the twelfth of January. Um, and that will be down in Sydney at Strata Jubilee Stadium with a 5pm Eastern Time kickoff. So I'm actually going to do a bit of behind-the-scenes negotiating and say we may have to record next week's show after that match. Look, we're starting to talk about, won't it? Mm. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I assume thinking. it's 5pm as well because they have to do the fly-in, fly-out thing, I assume. So that would be why it would be that time. Yes, that would be my guess as well. Now, uh... Let's go quickly uh, and look ahead for the one match that is going ahead this weekend. We'll go back to the Raw women, uh, because I kind of skipped over that on my run sheet here. Uh, Scott, the Raw yes. women are taking on the Wanderers this Sunday at Morton Daly Stadium. It is a standalone after the men's match has been postponed. So what are you looking for for the Raw women in that fixture? I want to see if this confidence that they seem to gain in that last 10 minutes down there at Amy Park can carry over until next week because I think they found something in that last 10 minutes in terms of the confidence within the group of things going their way and I think that this Wanderers team is ripe for the picking I don't think they're they're not the strongest side in the competition and if the Roar are going to start really gaining background that they've lost in the first month of the season this has to be three points at home so I want to see a confident performance at home a couple of goals and three points Adam 
Yeah, I, I'm sort of down the same sort of line. Um, that I, I think that you know the Raw, if they if they win here, they're right back into the finals picture. So, it, which seems which seemed you know almost unthinkable after two two straight losses or three straight losses, you know, two to Perth and uh, one to victory at home. You thought, oh, their season might be in trouble. Look, a, a, a good 90-minute performance would absolutely, you know, you know, get past you know, Western Sydney with, you know, almost with ease. And you start saying, you know, finals football may be back on. And I think, I don't think that it all comes back down to tapping into that confidence they got from the last, you know, 20 minutes to half an hour of of that game in Melbourne. If they can, you know, come out and start like that against uh, Wanderers, I reckon that they might actually have a very comfortable uh, Sunday night. I'm a big believer in patterns and trends. So two goals against victory at Morton Daly Stadium, three goals down in Canberra, four goals against a victory down at uh, Amy Park. I'm thinking it's got to be a five to something win. Ideally five one with a goal from Bella Habuda for the Wanderers, but that's uh, might be getting a little bit too specific. Anyway. Bella hasn't played much for the Wanderers, has, has she? No, maybe I don't they think shouldn't I've seen her. much of her play this year, which is unfortunate because she's made a good player. She's they also three losses and one draw. The Wanderers, so yeah, okay, five-one win with Habuda on the score sheet. There we go. I know what my, I know what I'm hoping for, and I'll tell you what: if that prediction actually comes right, <laughs> you never know. All right, now it is January. That does mean one thing in the world of football, and that is transfer windows are open all over the place. So. To round out this episode, which I think is 6.13-ish, 6.12, whatever, yep. um, we're going to do a make-your-case transfer game. So I'm going to offer up a position in the Raw's men's squad because, well, they haven't given us a whole lot of content lately. Uh, so we're going to talk about them anyway. One of Should we talk about the got... fact that a lot of the players have been unavailable for the reason why they're unavailable? We haven't really talked about that on the show. Okay, you go, Scott. You go, you're the host. Okay, well, uh, based on uh, reports coming out of the Raw, including a video by CEO Dave Pure, it sounds like there have been uh, lots of cases amongst the playing and coaching staff. Uh, we also saw that on some of the players and Warren Moon's Instagram. So hopefully they will be good to go for their match in seven days' time, which is unfortunately an issue that's been sweeping the whole league. Scott, since we are on this topic, yep. you want... You have a theory that you want to uh, voice about the A-League season because we're down quite a few games at the moment. Yeah, it's not sustainable, is it, to keep playing one or two games a week? And I've noticed in another sport, which, I, which it, the, the cricket, they're talking about a hub, and it would not be popular, but I just wonder if it's a necessity for the next month to six weeks to just have a hub for until mid-February, end of February, some, or end of January, whatever you want to do, just to get some games on the way. Because at the moment, to have one game a week or two games a week... It's not sustainable. It's 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 making it difficult both for the scheduling going forward, and also for the league to gain traction, James. In terms of really get the the public's t- attention, in terms of the, that the league is actually on. When they've only got one game on for a weekend, I know it was on free to wear television. But when you only got one game, it makes it very very difficult for the league to gain traction and momentum. So I do wonder if maybe it's something they have to seriously look at, as much as it would be an additional cost. Well, okay, I just want to uh, touch on that at the moment. So we are heading into match week eight or nine because of the way the holiday fixtures are scheduled at the moment. So most teams should have eight or nine games played. Uh, You've got Victory, MacArthur, Western United, 
Sydney FC and Adelaide so, and Wellington. Half the league has played six games. You've got Central Coast, Melbourne City, Newcastle and Western Sydney, five games. So they've got two or three catch-ups. Then you've got Perth and uh, Brisbane will have uh, four or possibly five catch-ups already. So you need to do something that lets these guys get out and play sooner rather than later. And you hope that that is going to be uh, an option before too long as well. And based on the comments in the video from Dave Pro, which we did share on the uh, Raw Review Facebook page, possibly in Twitter, I don't know. Um, one of the... No, okay. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. <laughs> okay. We shared it on our Facebook page and um, yeah, you can see some of the comments there, but it does sound like they're optimistic that there will not be too many more disruptions to their fixtures from here on out. It does mean that uh, we might just have to suck it up and bear a handful of midweek fixtures, but considering the alternatives, what more can you ask for? Now, yeah, so the Raw could... So the most games uh, we're looking at at the moment are four or five catch-ups, which will... Uh, by the end of the weekend. So it's still manageable. Like you have one catch-up in February midweek catch-up in February, two in March, and one in April, or two in April. Weren't they and talking about playing through the international break mm, as well, as one potential alternative? They are, yes. I don't, I don't no, like I think, I know, I think that's got to be, um, that's a necessity. I, I think, I know, I know there's going to be people out there that's going to say, oh, that, you know, they shouldn't be playing during the international break. But this is an extraordinary circumstance. You know, you just can't, like I said, it would be absolutely foolish in my opinion, to knowing what we know at the moment, knowing there are games there, and you have a, and you have a week, a free weekend, and you don't try and play, you know, one, maybe even two, if you go maybe Friday, Monday, you know, it would be crazy. I, I, I know, I know. Sometimes the best laid plans are laid to waste. So I think that they ha- they have to play in that that international break. I feel like there's a simple solution. You can play in the uh, international windows. As long as uh, you, you know, are, you've only got, uh, say, one or two of your players away on international duty. Because What's I do the think... the COVID rule, James? Is it five players? You yep. can get a postponement for five games? There you go, same rule. Yeah. I'd be, yeah, I'd be inclined to say three, just because chances are if you've got guys that are good enough to play uh, internationally, then you're probably going to be a bit more important than, you know, potentially losing... If the same losing. three players were unavailable for COVID reasons, you wouldn't get it postponed, would you? I know, but again, I, d- yeah, I just feel I, like... I'm not... Yeah, I, in, the, in this circumstance, I'm not a fan of going, oh, three players, and like for, even for an international. I think, you know, at the end of the day, you've almost got to say, well, if you're... Like, you know, I know we're talking about Melbourne City with their, with their front line. Um, it'd be a case of, you know what, if you're going to sign international players, well, you know, in this circumstance, you know, you've got to make do without it. Yeah, and... You know, if there's one thing uh, we keep hearing from Melbourne City is they do have a good pipeline of youth players, so yeah, yeah you never know. And just for the I record, don't... I don't, even, I don't even agree with five. I think I even think that number is too low as far as COVID postponement. But that's here nor there. So I, I think, I think that's still low. I think, I think it should be you know seven or eight, you know, first team players before you start thinking postponing. As long as we're not doing what the uh, NFL has done and said, oh, uh, Jacksonville has 24 players unavailable with COVID. Eh, I'll just go out and play anyway. It might be a good thing for Jacksonville, but... Oh, you can't tell the difference anyway. <laughs> Be- between the Something else I prefer not to speak about. 
Anyway, yes, I would just say that oh, like, playing through the international window would be the starting point. But even so, like you've got, you're going to have all these um, options for catch-up and it's not like you've got a, ha- a half a season to make up in two months. You've got, you've got the time. It is one of the, I suppose, slightly fortuitous things of this happening so early in the A-League season where, you know, you do have that option for, you know, the catch-ups to take place. Hell, if you really wanted to hold off, wait till the Easter school holidays and play two, you know, two of your catch-up matches then if you're that worried about getting people to go out uh, for the Easter holidays. Because you would also hope, and look, I'm not a medical scientist, I don't pretend to be one on TV, I would hope that by April, we're very much on the downside of this uh, most recent outbreak if it's not you know, bottomed out already by then. But uh, that's just, you know, a hopeful football fan's uh, speculation. Yeah, uh, look, I think it's a case of, you know, you've got you've got to play for the now as far as, you know, get get your plan served together as far as how you want the schedule to, to look. And to be honest, I I'm, I'm wouldn't be against... And... Um, APL Commissioner Greg O'Rourke put it out there on uh, in an article on Keep Up. Um, I think it was only, only over the weekend about potentially one one of the um, contingency plans is to reduce the season to 22 games, which would be a home a home and away um, situation, which which does fly in the face of what the AFC uh, dictates as far as what what actually uh, constitutes a professional league. But again, it's a case of force majeure situation, which just can't. Like I said, that's that's a month right there that you can save on on the season. If especially if you're if you know what, and we all hope that this this you know this spike in the pandemic does sort of you know ease up you know when we're to, you know talking you know in March or April. But if it doesn't, um, there's a month right there that you can save as long as you don't have a, have any teams playing for a third time. That won't it won't hurt the integrity of the. Um, of league, it might cause JJ to um to go and uh you know, really sort of negotiate something with with the uh, his pals at the AFC. But look, at the end of the day, you've got to do what you got to do to get the competition in because that's the most important thing at the moment. And also, you've got to keep in mind as well. It seems like the number one, I suppose, determining factor with the uh, fixturing is they want everything finished by the June international break because I'm pretty sure I. No, we've t- talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but that could be some very important qualifiers for the Socceroos as well. So they're going to need to make sure that they've got everything in place uh, to be done, you know, by maybe the last weekend in May. That, and also you probably find all the eight, all the player contracts would expire June 30. So that would be the other reason. But I think I definitely think the big point they could always extend that because they did that a couple of years ago. I think your point is they want it done before potentially massive World Cup qualifiers take centre stage. I think that's the case, but I do... I, if it gets, I think if it gets to the point where they cannot play these games, if they have there's so many games to be caught up that they can't do it in the international breaks, as much as we're going to annoy people, I think they have to look at a hub. I if, think... if it doesn't get better in the next six to eight weeks, they're going to have to. Oh, yeah. Six to because eight... they're going to run out of time, otherwise. There's going to be a, a point in time where as much as people won't like it, they're going to have to do it. I think yeah, sorry, just about the hub. At a certain point. Just about the hub, just to support Scott's um, point. It won't be like what we what we know the hub as it was, you know, two years ago. It felt like two years ago, 
uh, where, you know, they'll play in cavernous empty stadiums. Like, if they have it in Victoria or New South Wales, provided that the protocols are met and you, that the players are in a bubble, look, you can have fans. As long as they don't, yeah. you know, get in contact. It's just get and, all the players in one yeah. city so they can play the games. Yeah. And I did, that, that's and I, the last resort, but they might have to go back to it. I completely agree that the hub is probably the break glass in case of last resort emergency situation. And I'm not completely against it, but it, do, it see how things are going at the end of the month. If you're able to start to get fixtures back in and you can start planning for the teams to make up their games, you know, with Tuesday and Wednesday night fixtures, so be it. Look, it sucks going out to Morton Daly Stadium on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, but I think everyone... Well, this is football fans we're talking about, so maybe not, but you would think the rational... Uh, people will go, it's not ideal, but we'll make do. Obviously, we'd much prefer weekend games. Although, I did actually hear that, um, you know, bit of exclusive news here on the Brisbane Football Review. I did actually hear that uh, a handful of A-League men's clubs are looking at signing a certain uh, Serbian world number one tennis player because apparently he's able to go and do exactly whatever the hell he wants oh, don't in Victoria. Start. <laughs> Please don't start me on him. Oh, we had to get shot in at some I, point. I can't wait for him to lose in round one of these Australian Open. Seriously. Uh, I, I know you can't you rig the draw. had to bring him up, didn't you? I did. I, I know you can't rig the draw, but uh, get him against Kyrgios round one on uh, the drunk show court. Bring it on. That's just going to... That's going to be awesome. Anyway, back to football and what we were trying to talk about about seven minutes ago before we got a little sidetracked. <laughs> Make your case. So I'm going to say a position in the Raw men's squad. One of you is going to make a case uh, for. One is going to make a case against addressing that uh, position in the January transfer window. And we're going to start with goalkeeper. Right now it is Macklin Freak, Jordan Holmes and Aiden Mumford being the third goalkeeper. Adam, make a case for the Raw strengthening the goalkeeping position in the January transfer window. Oh, jeez. Uh, look, uh, look, the only... It, it comes down to availability. I think if... At the moment, you've got, you've got a situation where I think perhaps if one or or two of that group decide to move on to pursue better opportunities, whether it be more playing time or more opportunity elsewhere, then I think then you, you probably would look at you know, getting another goalkeeper in. Right now, I think Macklin Freak is the number one. Um, so that may cause, you know, maybe Jordan Holmes to perhaps look elsewhere. I don't, I don't know whether he's happy. It's hard to know, given, you know, they haven't played that many games in, in the past couple of months, or whether, you know, opportunity may come elsewhere, be it, you know, European lower leagues or, you know, look, even MPL for all, for all we know. Um, so that, that, that would probably be the only situation where the goalkeeper in core may need some, some improvement for the transfer wins, though. Scott, again. That's all hypothetical, James. As, unless something changes the goalkeeper unit does not need strengthening. They've got a really good young goalkeeper who's getting his chance. They've got a good solid backup and a really good MPL goalkeeper's third choice. They don't need to strengthen that unless something changes in that group. All right. Quick and succinct. I like that. I won't be scoring this like Tony Reale either. Uh, oh, I was going for the for points on that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, central defender. Scott, you're in the affirmative. Yes, they need to sign a central defender. It's just to replace the players that were let, left, let go at the end of the season. I mean, 
They've they've let go of Macaulay Gillespie. And, I didn't let go. They've lost Macaulay Gillespie and John Courtney Perkins, and they've only brought in young Anton Milnarich, who may very well end up going back to Sydney at some point in this month, James. I mean, their defence is almost as one of the worst in the league as far as I'm concerned, so he might very well be called back to help their defence, which leaves you with an, uh, young Kai Truen, who's done quite well, and Tom Aldred, who we haven't seen play in the league this season due to injury. So I think that a defender of, with a bit of experience would be uh, would be something they should definitely be looking at, regardless of what happens with Milnaric. Even if he stays late, they should need to bring somebody in that position. Adam. Jeez, this, this is a bit of a stitch up, this. <laughs> uh, look, I think uh, the only way that they probably won't need to sign anyone is A, that they somehow extend the loan deal for Milnaric, uh, and also as well, all of a sudden, you know, Tom Aldred, after the, this uh, intervening period is right, then maybe, you know, between that, you know, Kai and getting, you know, maybe a bit of time to sort of, you know, not play all time, um... Yeah, I think that that might be the only thing, but uh, yeah, it's it's a hard case to make. I I will try. Just you know, even though I'm technically meant to be the facilitator uh, for this bit, if they're going to a back four, you only really need three first choice central defenders, and with Scott Neville, Kai Truant, and Tom Aldred, oh, yeah. you could argue, yeah, you could argue that there are more pressing areas in the squad to address. So. That's just, that's how I would have argued it anyway. Can I apologise to Scott Neville right now, by the way, for forgetting him in that summation of the central defenders? I apologise. Yes, and if Scott Neville is listening, send your uh, objections to uh, Scott at Brisbane Football Review. <laughs> but also, as well, I'd actually, I would actually sort of um, thought in a back four, Scott Neville potentially be a right fullback as well. So True, but you do also have... Hing at Brindle South and yeah. uh, also. <laughs> That's one area you do not need to change the fullbacks. And that is why I'm going to ask... No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to ask you about... <laughs> oh, that case. Uh, what I am going to ask you about, though, Adam, central midfielder. Make a case for the Raw needing to add to their central midfield stocks. Uh, look, I think they could probably do with one more. I think just just for variety and uh, like also always the, sort of the horses for courses sort of you know, approach for for the Raw, like, they've got a pretty decent, you know, midfield at the moment, once they start performing at their top level, you know, we're talking about, you know, a Matty Steinman or a Jay O'Shea, you know, if they're at the peak of their powers, along with, you know, the consistency and, you know, the, the work ethic of Jesse Daly, Ramat Akbari in there as well, um, it's a very, very good group, but um, also as well, but it's not always... You know, interlocking as far as you know, you can always just consistently play. You know, three of the four. That sometimes you need the extra variety. So bringing in another body into into midfield, especially a playmaker type, that you know that could supplement um, Ramat Akbari, who hasn't been doing a sterling job in that sort of that quasi number ten role, but a true number ten. And I think all of a sudden creativity for the raw then becomes you know. A positive because at the moment it's very, very difficult seeing them create too much for their for their attacking group. Scott, talk about a stitch up. I'm going to try and make this argument. You want me to make an argument they don't need a midfielder? Yes. I'm going to try and make this argument. Look, there's, there are some pretty good players in there that haven't really had the chance to really bed down a combination yet. And maybe, maybe over the next few weeks, James, those experienced players in there like the Joe O'Shea's and the Maddie Steinmans can start to form that combination, which was 
we all hope that we would see over the course of the first part of the season. But I do think even Jesse Day's energy is quite good. And if and if worst comes to worst, I think Louis Zabala from the youth team is a very good young player who could potentially come in and offer them some minutes in the midfield. So maybe they don't need one, but I'm not sure how much I fully believe that argument. No, but you're playing a character for the uh, podcast. I want points for that Tony Reale style. Ding, 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 whatever. Uh, okay, well, this is one that I actually kind of, well, I'm going to have to straddle the fence on. I would say you could argue that they need another experienced midfielder just because it does seem like they're really struggling to control the midfield in a lot of games. However, conversely, and this is something we talked about back when you know they actually played games uh, in the A-League men's side, it does feel like they haven't quite found the right role for those midfielders just yet. And we are yet to see them reach, arguably, the peak of their abilities. Now, last uh, position group, Scott. Yes. Atta- attacker. Do they need to make a case for them uh, adding an attacker in the January transfer window? How many minutes has it been since they scored a goal? What, one or two goals in four or five games? There we go. That's All right, that's Adam. The case, but it's quite simple. Look, there's <laughs> some good component parts there. I just think they need somebody who can link the whole thing back together. Maybe a, a Japanese attacking midfield type who might have won Player of the Year last year. Something like that. Maybe bring in a player, if not him specifically, maybe a player like that. I do think they need to bring somebody in the front third to just give them a different option because it seems like they're just lacking something at the moment. All right, Adam, I can tell you're already ruining having to make this case. I've got a, I've got an angle that I would be taking if I was arguing this side. But let's see what you come up with. I doubt that would be my, my angle because my, my mind works in weird and wonderful ways. Look, the only, the only thing I could argue for why not to is at the end of the day, attackers, you've got to just give them opportunities. Um, and at, at, eventually, they're going to have to... Yeah, as much as that they may be misfiring at the moment, they, they, eventually they break out of a slump. And I think at the moment, with the group that they have, you know, one of them eventually has to catch fire, be it Miljusnic, be it, you know, Ivanovic, who's been good, you know, and Alex Parsons or Osiris Demi. Um, all young young players to, you know, try to put hoist a lot of responsibility on. But look, if, I, if one of them starts, starts to score goals at regular um, intervals, it might inspire the others. But... Jeez, it's, it's, a, it's a flimsy argument to make. Okay. I w- well, that was sort of along the lines that I was going to make, except for the fact that how much have we seen of Juan Lascano so far? He's been battling yeah, an injury, and we haven't really seen him do a whole lot of anything purely, like it seems like, because of health. So my argument, I suppose, if I was making the case, is that it seems like the attacking woes have mostly been coming from the midfield um, finding themselves on the wrong angle. And if the midfield starts to provide a few more opportunities for the attackers, I think they're going to be the ones that are going to be able to take it. And when you combine that with the, uh, hopefully, return to health of Lascano, you should see them uh, looking a little bit stronger. Scott? You could also make the argument that, given the off-field issues that Nikola Mjolnic has been dealing with off the field in the last couple of weeks, that he that he may also start to gain a bit more confidence and form on the field as well. For sure. All right. I can't believe we got almost 50 minutes out of this week, but we have. So that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Good to talk to you again, James. Adam? Thank yeah, you, Adam. Th- thanks, guys. And a... Uh, and- 
to borrow a line from Chris Berman, let us be among the last to wish you a happy new year and may 2022 bring us a bit more footballing success on the pitch for the Raw. Before you know it, the NPL will be uh, coming up soon as well. So until then, enjoy the football, whatever is actually going ahead this weekend. We do have the FA Cup as well, which is something, I suppose. And we'll be back after the Raw's FFA Cup tie down in Sydney uh, next Wednesday night, and we'll be there to discuss that, plus the women's match against the Wanderers here on the Brisbane Football Review. We'll talk to you then.